PR is a, a long-term game now and PR practitioners understand that the sooner you bring a PR person into it, the sooner they can start doing the work to get you earned media and get you those PR opportunities that in your outdated model, you imagine a PR person being able to do. Welcome to Top of Mind, a show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become top of mind. My guest today wants every marketer to stop thinking that public relations is a boring, thankless job that isn't worth your time. She's going to help us to see the huge opportunity that you have to earn some serious attention to your content if you're willing to put in a little bit of elbow grease and enthusiasm. She's a TEDx speaker, a PR whiz, and the content marketing specialist at SalesRight. Joining me live today is Liz Duff. Thanks a lot for joining me, Liz. Hey, I loved that intro. I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head. Well, because you, you have a kind of a co-title at, at your company. You're the PR specialist as well as the content marketer. And I yeah. think that those often are separated and they've seen as two completely different functions. But what you really believe is that in order to actually be good at content marketing, you need to be really good at PR as well. Is that right? Definitely. I think that Specifically in SaaS, I think that there are really exceptional content marketers and they're people that were raised from content marketing through their career. That's how they started. That's what they're the best at. That's where they are. And like, I admire those people above all else. I think they're phenomenal. Coinciding to that, I also think that there's such a huge opportunity for SaaS marketing teams to take advantage of what public relations is and PR practitioners and incorporate some elements of PR and elements of like what a PR person can bring to the table into content marketing strategy. And it only makes it stronger. And I, I find it really interesting when I tell people my title is public relations specialist and content marketing specialist. Cause they're like, there's a lot of belief that like, Oh, well, like your job must be like very marketing oriented. And it's like, well, no, that's why there's two parts to my title. Or on the opposite end, I talk to a PR person and they're like, oh, so your job must be very PR heavy. And I'm like, well, no, there's like a lot of marketing to it too. So it's like these two things that are constantly, I'm constantly juggling up in the air that like work so well together. But from both sides of the equation, people don't understand how they, how they come together into one, one role. So why don't we start with you helping us to define the differences, like the nuance of what makes a public relations or PR person. Right on. I think that's a great place to start. I think we all have this like idea in our heads of what a PR person is, right? We think we've all watched like Mad Men and we know like what a spin doctor is. And for those of us that if we ever studied PR in school, you hear the stories of like cigarettes and how PR was such a huge part of cigarette culture and making that what it, what it was when it first kind of gained popularity and then like what it is today and kind of taking down cigarette culture is like this really healthy thing, which now we know it's not. So there's all of these like conceptions of like, oh, a PR person is a spin doctor, a PR person is only media, a PR person is like a very niche skill set. And I think based on history, it's easy to see why people believe that. But when you actually look at the modern public relations practitioner, it's people with a very 
specialized set of training that can be applicable to so many different types of jobs and so many different types of goals, specifically working in like a SaaS industry, the skills that a PR person brings to the table are so applicable to reaching sales goals, to reaching, you know, marketing goals, with management, with growth. It's applicable across the board. Um, and I think that's because PR practitioners are trained by, by virtue of like an educational standpoint to look at every situation from a storyteller's perspective. And that's kind of the foundation of PR work is you're taking what already exists within an organization and you're taking the good that's already there, the stories that already exist, what's already being brought to the table and you're finding ways of elevating that to all of the public's involved. So not just the people you're selling to, but you're looking at for like a SaaS industry perspective, you're looking at investors, you're looking at competition, you're looking at people that are not your ICP, you're looking at the opposite of that. You're looking at event organizers, podcasters, media, and then of course, like you, your ICPs, the people that you are selling to, and you're finding ways of taking the stories that already exist within your organization and making them applicable to all of those groups of people. And then what that does for your organization is it elevates your entire brand and your entire um, company on like an individual level. So like your actual personas, like your CEO, um, your VP sales, your VP growth, and you're making those people a part of the entire story and making them like humanizing them really and making them as valuable as the company brand that's being built. So in comparison to that, when you look at like the marketing roles within a SaaS organization. I think that the very clear differentiator is that in a marketing capacity, you're doing like very strategic goal-oriented work, but it's extremely targeted work. So maybe you're only looking at building your brand to investors or you're running a campaign that's only to assist your sales teams and you're putting budget behind that. So you're building an advertising campaign, you're buying media, um, you're pushing your message out with like money behind it. And that's not what a PR person does. A PR person finds ways of connecting what already exists to news and media and pushing it through organic channels as opposed to like building something like a marketer does, putting money behind it to make it exactly what you need it to be and then executing it to your publics. Right. And I really like what you mentioned about bringing the leadership forward and making them part of the story because a lot of the times a uh, leadership role, they don't necessarily see themselves as valuable to be heard or understood or known by the customer. It's kind of like you dealt with a salesperson, you see our marketing, it speaks for itself. But more and more, we're seeing the value of CEOs that sell, like ones that get up on stage, right. ones that can speak the story, ones that are charismatic, because then all of a sudden you've got someone might hear them speak and be like, I don't know why I want to purchase from this company, but I need it to be from that company. I don't want it to be from anyone else. Just based on the fact that I would like to have a beer with that CEO, maybe just yeah. purchasing the product is as close as I can get to that. Oh, absolutely. And I think that really reflects on this. You know, if you're on LinkedIn right now, one of the hottest topics that at least I see every day is talking about sales marketing alignment. That's such a hot topic in our industry right now. And I think it's because there's this need, regardless of if you're selling to a sales team or you're selling to, you know, this very specific type of startup or this really high velocity, high growth organization, regardless of who you're selling to, there's this need to find the human element to it, right? This industry for so long, and I think 
you know, many business like B2B businesses, B2C businesses for so long have been so focused on like selling to a persona or selling to a this or selling to a that. And there have been elements of humanity that have kind of gotten pushed to the side, I feel, in lieu of like this idea of, oh, well, we, we know this person is XYZ and we're going to reach them through XYZ and we're going to sell them that way. And that's great. And that, of course, that works. But what you miss in that is exactly what you said. If you see someone give a really compelling speech or a really compelling podcast interview or a pitch or a, they're at a booth at an event, those are all elements of PR that like you can't translate as clearly through a paid marketing campaign. Those are things that already innately exist that you're finding ways of elevating and connecting with people so that they do go, oh, well, maybe I should buy this product because I really want to get to know this guy. I really trust this person. Or, you know, this company seems like they align with my values. That's a really important part of PR work is making people see how they fit into the vision that you have for your company. And I think that when you take tidbits of that and like those little sprinkles of PR thinking of like, how do I elevate what's already here as opposed to finding a way of throwing more dollars at finding a solution. Sometimes there are things you can do that are more strategic from a PR perspective that will save you money in the long run um, and fulfill the same goal from either mm -hmm. side. So yeah, a, great example of, a great example of this is our CEO, who is Bill Wilson, he's CEO of SalesRight. We've been doing a lot more podcast interviews. We've been doing a lot more speaking at events and this type of work. And we've been doing it because Bill is extremely charismatic. If you've ever had a conversation with Bill, you don't want it to stop because he will talk to you about how much he loves running or how much he loves his little tiny dog, which is super adorable. And he genuinely loves the product that we're building so much. So regardless if you care about pricing or you don't, it is so easy to get lost in an hour long beer conversation with Bill about it because he's just so natural really compelling and there are ways that we've used PR tactics to elevate that and push it out to our publics that are like wow I want to get to know Bill I want to get to know our product I want to know more about sales right and if we had solely stuck with a marketing like campaign concept to achieve those same goals I think it would have taken a lot longer than some of the avenues we have explored with it because the PR tactics were able to just naturally elevate what was already there. Yeah. I'd like to dig a little bit into some tactics that you found to be effective and then mm -hmm. uh, move afterwards towards some misconceptions that, that you brought up. Yeah. Um, so in that case, an example being you're promoting your CEO, telling him to get on podcast interviews. Mm -hmm. What do you do once that podcast interview is done? Or maybe let's start even further. How do you help help him to prepare for that interview? And then how do you find podcasts for him to be on? Right on. I think that's a great question. So a huge part of PR is knowing how to source media that's going to put you in front of the exact audiences you want to reach. So it doesn't mean we're necessarily paying to be on a podcast. We're paying to have an article um, on a website, which those are all really extremely great tactics that you can use that can be really effective depending on who you're trying to reach. It's just from a PR perspective, you can find ways of building relationships with podcasters and building relationships with media outlets. So they're more likely to want to feature you. So like, for example, LinkedIn is an awesome, awesome avenue for doing that. We've connected with all kinds of different podcast hosts across the board. So people that focus directly on pricing and having really 
you know, in-depth, really analytical pricing conversations. And we've also connected with people that have nothing to do with pricing and want to talk about how pricing aligns with our industry or how pricing aligns with sales strategy and like other topics that aren't so specific to our product, but we can still speak to from a thought leadership perspective. So when, it, when, we, when we talk about a greater media strategy and I put on my PR hat as opposed to my marketing hat, the first thing I'm doing is saying, who do we already have relationships with or who can we build a relationship with? So then we get a really organic piece of content out there. And LinkedIn's been an awesome way for us to do that. So then pushing that stage aside, let's say we have found someone who we think is a really great fit, who we can have a really good rapport with, who, you know, Bill's really excited to talk to. Then we sit down and say, okay, what can we actually offer this platform? So typically we look at, okay, who have been some past guests? What kinds of questions have been asked? What are the viewers really engaged about? So what episodes have done really well? And we analyze it from that perspective of what, what works for this platform and where can we fit within that and offer our own twist on it. So we've had some really great success with, you know, we talk about, you know, the reason why we started our company. People seem to find that really interesting. And it's because Bill is so passionate about like building this product. And that's the entire reason why our company exists. He saw this issue and he wanted to be the person that like could put the solution on the table because he felt like it had to be done. And that story is naturally very compelling to people. So when it comes time to prepping a podcast, we look at this story that already exists, that Bill already believes so much in, and that we know he can speak to really profoundly and really well. And we say, okay, how, how does this story apply to the people that want to listen to it? How, like, what elements of this um, will really resonate with people the most? As opposed to, you know, okay, here's the speech you're going to say. It's word for word. You know, like, make sure you hit these points and go. We can also do that. And like that, there's definitely a time and place for that. But when it's, when we're talking about like sourcing media and creating organic content that people are naturally very drawn to, it's really important that we always stick to what's true and what's already existing. And we find the pieces that we know people will naturally resonate with. And we, we use that to frame everything and build a foundation on top of. One thing I love about podcasts is how the, metrics around them are hidden. Like there's nothing that influences me more on YouTube or on Instagram than seeing how many likes or how many views a video has. Mm -hmm. And one thing I love about podcasts is it's an even playing field because there's no viewership metrics. So when you said a question about how do we find episodes that have resonated really well with the audience of that show, how do you do that? Absolutely. A couple different things we do. Like you said, we can't take it from a purely analytical perspective, right? So typically what I do, and this does take more time, and this absolutely is not the only way of doing this. For where we're at, I find this is really effective. I'll I'll find a person that we want to speak to, or Bill will show me someone that he thinks he could have a good conversation with, or I identify someone who we have a great relationship with. And I look at all the content that already exists. And then what I'm doing is I'm finding pieces that I think are, would be relevant to our own audience. So like, let's say I'm making up a person here. Let's say there's Bob and Bob runs the Bob, the Bob podcast and Bob has an episode on pricing. I'm like, okay, I don't care if this episode has two listens or 200 listens. Pricing's really relevant to our audience. Does our audience have any interaction with that? So then I'm, you know, 
trying to backsource the links. I'm trying to see, have people been sharing this on the platforms we're on? Have people interacted directly with this content on the podcasters, LinkedIn or on their own social media? Does the podcaster have a website that they're posting show notes on? How does that rank in, you know, Google results? Like all this kind of, all this kind of thought. So I'm not so much evaluating, like I'm not trying to say we're only on podcasts that are having this many views and like this many listens and downloads. It's are people engaging with it? Is there some kind of evidence that our audiences would be specifically interested in this? Because then once we record something and it goes out or similarly, if we work with a media outlet or we have a featured blog post because we have a relationship there and that goes out, will we be able to share that content on our own platforms and it will perform well? So for instance, we've done a couple different like podcast interviews are a great example where, you know, I've had to outright ask like, what's your viewership like? Like you seem like a new podcaster and we've engaged with them regardless of the answer. And we've done really great content pieces and our own audience on our own platforms has eaten it up and really enjoyed it. So at the end of the day for that particular content piece, did we get the most reach directly from the podcaster? No, it came from our own audience, but did we give our audience something really valuable that they directly responded to that they engaged with on our own channels? Did it help build our entire brand a little step further up? Yes, it did. And to me, that's a success. If we're constantly being able to provide value, regardless of, you know, if the metric, we can't track it, or maybe we don't know what the exact end result's going to be, but we can prove that there's a very um, qualitative value to doing it. So we're getting direct response. Our own audience is telling us that it's very valuable to them. We are seeing, you know, click-throughs. We are seeing good SEO reach from our own end. Then that's a success to me. And I'm willing to like take that, take that avenue. Nice. That's a great answer. So now that you've done the podcast episode, you covered the topics, you differentiate yourself. Do you include a call to action at the end? Is that the, is that kind Always. of the perk of getting to be a guest is you get to have the kind of the last word? Absolutely. And I think one of the really wonderful things about podcasters in general is that people are very open to like leaving that open-ended. So do you have something that you want, you want to promote? Like, do you have something coming down the pipeline? Like, is like, do, is there something you want to tell our people? Uh, people are typically really open to that. And we've had some great, we were on the quotable podcast by Salesforce and they ended up posting two accompanying articles on their website along with the two podcast interviews that Bill did with them. And that was really great because it backlinked right to our website. And on our website, we had our own call to action as well. So typically there are ways either directly in an interview, we can, you know, make sure that if there is a tidbit we want people to know, we can say it, or we can make sure in like the publication and the promotion of um, a media piece that we're also including our own call to action as well in that. And I think the important piece about that, which I think a lot of people generally do well, is making sure that your call to action is directly important to the people that you're that are listening to the piece. So for example, if we're trying to promote our software, which helps sales teams close deals faster, but we're on a podcast that's all about marketing, we're probably not going to give a direct call to action, which is like, you should do a demo of our product because it's probably not going to matter as much to the people listening. We would probably say something like, oh, well, we have these like really thorough content pieces that are about how to build really high ranking pricing pages. That might be of interest to you guys. And then people would be more likely to do something with that. Right. I feel like I'll, I feel like I've 
seen media pieces with call to action. So for example, podcast interviews where I've kind of cringed at the end, like, oh, this was just a sales attempt. This guy just did this because he wanted me to hear about what they do and he wants me to do a demo. And that kind of, regardless of how good the interview was, if that's how I end listening to that, it leaves me with a bit of a pit in my stomach of, oh, okay, like they don't, they, they just wanted to share what they wanted to share because they're hoping that I'm going to buy their stuff at the end of the day. And that, that doesn't sit well with me. So I think that's the trick with a good podcast call to action is making sure that you're actually giving something valuable and not just shoving your own product mm-hmm. down people's throats. Yeah. And I find that also a really good call to action is not a demo or a, or a sale necessarily, but some type of lead magnet. Like, cause then mm-hmm. you actually have the, the, the metrics that you've collected that person's expressed interest, but you provide the pro- the value that you promised in the inter- in yeah. the interview saying, Hey, if you want this in a, in written form, rather than just taking notes, don't worry at the end, I'm going to give you a link. And it's a very yeah, permission based lead magnet. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And it's, okay. again, that, I think that's a really good example of how like PR and marketing like mesh together so well. It's like, that's a marketing tactic, right? But in a PR context, those two come together and it's just like this perfect mm. harmony of like PR, like attracting media, finding the right media, being on the right media, but then the marketing angle of like, let's get a really specific call to action and like find a way to put it all together. Yeah. Another example that's not podcast specific, just for <laughs> people wondering if this is if there's other ways of doing this and not just focusing on podcasts, a really great way I've seen it done before too is if you're a speaker at a conference you're positioning yourself as a thought leader and you want your content to be just like very tweetable is the word I I've heard describe it where it's don't put a whole bunch of text on your slide. Just make every single slide pick like a picture worthy slide so that you get the value you're in the frame. Someone can share that immediately post on their LinkedIn or whatever. And then you also mentioned, don't worry about taking notes. I'm going to give you all my slides at the end of this. And then you put up a link and then of course it's a lead magnet and then they get the slides and it's like very, just very, it's non-transactional because it's like, there's so much value here that it's, tell me that's not worth your email. Oh, I'm completely agreeing with you. Last question kind of about this uh, side of PR is now the promotion side. So mm-hmm. you've, you've recorded it, it's published, they might do a really good job at editing, they might do a not so great job at editing, they might have a big audience, they might have no audience. What can you do as the person who gave the interview to promote your work and make people more people see it? You kind of touched on yeah. like building links and, and your own stuff, but podcasts are inherently like a, a tricky one to promote because no one's going to see a link on LinkedIn. Like I've never clicked a podcast episode link on LinkedIn and then gone and like listened from my laptop for yeah. a 45 minute long episode. So what, what yeah. are some, some ideas there for promotion? Yeah, I think again, it's like the perfect combination of like there's PR tactics and there's marketing tactics and you can combine the two together and have this perfect mix of, you know, content pushing. I think of uh, Ross Simmons, who's the CEO of um, Foundation Marketing. He's based out of Halifax and he talks all the time about remixing content. Like how can you take content that exists? And, you know, Gary Vee talks about this too and remix it a million different ways so that it's applicable on all of your platforms to all of your audiences. Um, so you're talking not, if you're doing a podcast interview, you're finding a way to make it visual. You're finding a way to make it text-based. You're finding a way to make it readable in a 15 second Instagram story and like a 10 minute blog post. So specific with like 
what you do with a podcast. We do a couple of things. Any marketer would start with like, how do you push this across your social channels, right? How do you push this to your email list? So we do all of those pieces. We make sure that we build a podcast interview into content for our Twitter, our Facebook, our LinkedIn, our Instagram, and our TikTok. We're on TikTok now too. So we find ways of making it, you know, multifaceted in that, you know, we're making a TikTok video and we're making a LinkedIn article and we're making like a, an 80 character tweet. So not even the full tweet amount, just like enough to make you want to click the link and do it and read it or listen to it. So that's where we start. And typically what I do is I do my general push and I give it a little time. Sometimes I'll leave it for like, you know, my first launch an hour. Sometimes I'll leave it for maybe a day, depending on like the scale of what we're working with. So what, if we're working with a huge media organization and I know there's going to be a lot of organic reach in the first 24 hours, I'm pushing as much as I can from our channels. And I'm also letting like the outlet themselves do a lot of the work. Cause I know that their audience is going to come flooding to us. What I'm also doing at the same time is ensuring that we're pushing content that is not podcast related. So if we're dealing with a big media outlet, like Quotable by Salesforce, for instance, they had a huge audience that uh, we saw traction from. I'm also making sure I'm pumping out other content that people might be interested in. So it's a bit of a game of how can I leverage this audience that's now interested in us and give them even more to make them want. So like we talked about gated content, like how do I make them interested in gated content? How do I make them interested in getting to our website or following us or consuming more of what we can offer them? And I think that piece of it is sometimes missed. People get so excited about pushing the podcast that they forget, well, once you have all of these new people on your page or trying to connect with you on LinkedIn, you need to keep giving them more content and you need to get it while it's hot. So you can't miss that opportunity to give them even more. If all you're pushing is podcast, 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 like people are going to get really sick. Like, Oh, I already, I already listened to that. Like, yeah, I already know you said that. I already gave it a shot or whatever. I already know you did this. Okay. This is clearly your, your shtick. That's it. But if they're coming to my page and I'm showing them, Oh, we just did a gated content piece on, you know, this specific topic in our industry, or we, are launching something really fresh tomorrow. So like, you know, join our countdown and stay tuned to that. Um, or we just did a product hunt launch or like whatever it is. I'm like not only leveraging the audience, but I'm making them part of my own audience. Yeah. To me, that's the best. That's the best part of all this pushing is like the compliment of you do all of all the steps you need to take as a marketer. Like you make sure it's on your own website. You make sure you're backlinking. You make sure it's across all your social channels to your email list done. You're also making sure that those people have access to even more content so that they stay. Yeah. And as soon as they listen to something, they're, they're completely invested in you. Like they know your story mm -hmm. now, especially going back. If your podcast is about your origin story, it's like, wow, that was a really, I, something resonated with that origin story. Now what? And that's when you start saying, oh, and then the identified a problem and then you have more content around that. And then the person says, oh, not only do I resonate with the founder's story, but I also resonate with the struggle that he's trying to solve. I'm now able to, I'm also presented with a solution. I'm also presented with more of your differentiators yeah. that makes you interested. And so you're, you want to keep that momentum and how long, maybe this is more of a kind of getting into our next, the next couple of questions I have to you about the misconceptions of PR, but mm -hmm. that window is really dependent on the, the size or what, what it's is the so influencer? It's so dependent. To me, my perspective on it is it is so dependent on where it's coming from and where it's getting pushed through. So we've done podcasts that 
the only platform that these podcasters use is LinkedIn. It's all on LinkedIn. That is it. Maybe it gets sent to their private email lists as well. And like, that's fantastic too. But if all they're doing is pushing through LinkedIn, then I know that algorithm plays different than if we're pushing on Twitter, right? Twitter is a very short window to get people's attention. I mean, they have like the, here's what you missed since the last time you logged in and you get like four or five tweets of like from the last however many hours you were gone. But if you tweet something five hours ago and someone's coming online 12 hours later and you don't have more content being pushed out, like you're missing a huge opportunity to get that audience. But on LinkedIn, content can sit for a day before it gets huge traction. So for example, I, this is completely separate, but it shows you how different the audiences are on LinkedIn. After the Grammys, I made a post about Billie Eilish and how she won all these huge awards and how great that was for young women in music. And in the first 24 hours, I was sitting at around 100 likes on my post or so. And like, I, I was pretty happy with how it did. But then in the next three days following that, I got more than 5,000 views. And my post, I think now probably has like 220 likes or something on it, which is great. But it was wild to me how like the real wave of attention and reach was after that 24 hour hump. And I think a lot of people that are targeting LinkedIn and are on LinkedIn know that there's a certain game to like publishing content and letting it stew for a certain amount of time and making sure that you're engaging with it and that your audience is on it and then continuing to push it without, I don't want to say like compensating because that's not how it works either. But I think there's definitely a benefit to publishing something on a platform where the algorithm is a bit more of a long game, making sure it's being engaged with and you're engaging in it and letting it get to the people it needs to get. Because sometimes like you're not gonna, you know, publish something and then within an hour, you're gonna have all the likes and people that you, you know, your goal was to hit and all of this stuff. Sometimes it is a little bit of a game of waiting. I also find that on Instagram too, is a great example. When we post anything on Instagram, I have to force myself not to look at the analytics in the first hour. I get so excited and I work so hard on making sure our photos are filtered and the captions are witty and people are gonna like it. And then, I come back in an hour and it's like five likes from our team. And I'm like, okay, this is great. Versus I come back two days later and I have, you know, prospects and I have, you know, other companies and I have potential clients and all these people are engaging. I'm like, oh, okay. I, I just had to, I just had to give myself a few minutes here and let it get to the people it had to get to before I got antsy and started posting more and trying to like overdo it. Yeah, that's that's definitely been my experience with LinkedIn. That's that's my primary channel, and it, it I, I I'll get people commenting, which is in my opinion the highest intent or engagement metric that you can do is how many comments that people have, and it could be two weeks later. All of a sudden, you get people commenting. I'm like, how is this working? Who are you? How did There's you? There's no way. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. So speaking on the point you just mentioned about getting in front of the people that you're trying to serve, that I think moves really well into the misconceptions around PR because you've, you've sent me five points that I don't necessarily have a pers perspective on either way, but this is stuff that you've identified as the misconceptions that people bring up about PR people. So I'd love to go through the list and yeah, you can kind of debunk a few of these myths that we've got around PR. So the first yeah, one... I feel like we need a sound effect it's like debunked like boom or yeah. like, <laughs> no longer relevant yeah exactly okay maybe i can do maybe i can fix that in post we'll see <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay number one 
PR is the same thing as marketing. Oof. Oof. Ow. That hurts. Hurts so bad when people say that. No. Where, where do you want to start with that one? I, I want to start with how painful it is as a PR <laughs> person to hear that like our job is the same as a marketer. And the reason why I say that is because I have so much respect for marketers and for CMOs and for growth marketers who are so in the analytics and so in the personas and so in like the deep, deep trenches of the numbers of marketing. I think those types of roles are for my own skill sets and my work preferences. So it would be so difficult for me to function if that was like the bulk of my role was oriented towards the analytics of marketing. And those people should not be framed as PR people because they are brilliant, but that is not PR work. Sometimes PR people are framed as people that have really deep analytics training, or they're framed as people that can only do copywriting, or they're framed as people that can only do media, when really it's super, super, super multifaceted and marketing is one niche of what a PR person can do. And there are definitely marketers that can do PR work, but again, they're two completely different circles that sometimes overlap. They both require like the same kind of really strategic, really informed approaches before work can happen. And I think that's where the real misconception comes from because we both require a lot of prep work, a lot of identifying your publics, a lot of identifying the proper mediums to get to those publics and identifying the exact evaluation that needs to take play. But otherwise the actual work that's happening in each of those scenarios could not be more different. So for example, the foundation of marketing is to create very strategic initiatives that are backed by dollars. And the question that you're asking is about economic outcomes. So how, do, how am I getting this in the hands of the people who are going to pay for my product or my service or whatever? That's a marketing campaign. A PR campaign is thinking more around how am I building recognition and how am I building awareness of my offer so that it can land in the, the hands of people. So I think a really great example of this is April Fool's Day. When you see companies do April Fool's Day, you know, like product launches. So like, for example, they, they pretend they're launching this like crazy product that's like not at all what they're doing, but it's just a way of driving people to their website or driving people to their content. That to me is a bit more of a PR effort than it is in a marketing campaign. Sure, it's something that's like meant to um, capture an audience and, you know, if there's dollars behind it, it's a strategic initiative. But the PR play in the scenario of like an April Fool's Day prank is that you're not directly promoting a product or service. You're building awareness of your company and what already exists. So if you're doing something like a joke on your audience, you already know what they want. You already know everyone listening and you're trying to figure out a way to captivate all of them versus a strategic marketing campaign is like, the paid media behind that. It's, you know, desiring like a direct promotional outcome of it. It's talking about sales. It's talking about, you know, like, yeah, just all of what I just said, I guess. So I think a PR outcome and a marketing outcome are two very, very different things. And that's really what differentiates PR work from marketing work. Um, and I would say that I think that there's a lot of different answers to this question. I think a lot of people that are in marketing would say that like PR is completely different. And a lot of people in PR would say that marketing is extremely different. And it's something that's not completely agreed upon within either industry and people that work in both industries. But from my perspective, when you're looking at like a direct outcome, 
there's direct PR and there's direct marketing. And oftentimes that can differentiate the type of work that you're about to do. Yeah. And there's a, and in your case, there's a blend of it where you've got marketing mm -hmm. as a core function, but then you're like, how do I get this out to, yep. or content, sorry, as your main mm -hmm. function, how do I get this seen? Not through paid advertisement, but by earned media. Absolutely. Yeah. Nice. So well another, like another example would be like when people are doing funding announcements, right? That's a really clear example of, are you paying for promotion that you just raised so much money? Or are you contacting reputable news outlets that you already have existing relationships with and giving them, you know, your press release and your, your scoop about, we just raised this much money. If you want to run a story on it, here's everything you need to know. Companies can do both. They can do either, but one is a very clear PR outcome where you're you know, going to a news organization that you have a relationship with. You've already built the story and you're providing it to them or you're offering it to them or you're saying, here's, here's something. If you want to do something with it, it's yours versus, you know, paying for an article or paying for promotional means to announce something like those are, that would be a marketing outcome. So again, it's just looking at the outcomes of those two situations. One's clearly PR, one's clearly marketing. And that moves into another misconception that PR is only sending your press release to mm -hmm. news outlets and trying to pitch your story everywhere you can. So what's, yeah. what, else, what else can you see there? I think a lot of people think that PR is just about media. So whether it be, you know, pitching to media, whether it be running social media, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to pigeonhole you into media specific roles because that's what a PR person does, right? And I think my, my hot take on this one, and I've talked about this on LinkedIn and haven't really been met with, warm, with a warm welcome, but I think it's really important. PR people have really diverse writing skill sets. So oftentimes people pigeonhole a PR person as, oh, well, you can write a press release or you can write for social media or you can write, you know, like you can write like a Q&A or you can write for a press conference. And PR people can do all of that. However, at least from my own education and from my own experiences working in PR, you know, PR people are also trained in direct response copy, sales copy, web copy, feature stories, articles, blog posts, fact sheets, SEO, like all of those pieces are also what a PR person is capable of. So when we think about a PR person writing for media, that's only one, one way of writing that a PR person can offer a company. And I think when you look in like, SaaS specific organizations, or when you're looking in startups, for instance, and maybe you're trying to make really strategic hires and you're trying to, you know, you're, you dream of the person that can just do it all or like do multiple things and not just have one skill set. I think that it's really important for people to know that specific types of PR folks can do multiple forms of writing and you don't have to hire one person with an expectation of they can only perform one kind of writing for you and you have to outsource the rest. We do exist. PR students and new PR graduates do exist and they want to do writing for media and writing for blog and writing for SEO and writing for sales copy. But there's so much misconception that PR people can only do one that often we just get left out of the mix entirely. Yeah, well said. It, it, having that flexibility in your writing is a massive asset, regardless mm -hmm. of what, whether you stay in marketing or stay in PR or even are in this industry at all, just being a good writer is just, I was, I was reflecting a couple of days ago, like how much of my daily communication is now through text, whether it's through email or Slack or Teams or, or text message. Like it, I argue that over 50% of my day is spent consuming other people's writing. So if you're good at writing, you will always be, yes. you'll have something to do. 
Yeah. All right. That moves in nicely too. also the reactionary side of PR, which is just the idea that PR is only to deal with bad press when you get caught doing something or there's some type of fire internally that you need to address. That's when you go to the media. Yep. Let's talk not, about Not it. true though, right? No, definitely not. I, you know, and this one makes me laugh because I think so much about like how PR is presented in, you know, like television and in movies and like sexy PR is when, you know, Olivia Pope gets called in to save the day and she's like, oh, we have a crisis. Let's like find a way to solve it. And, you know, we're going to get this spokesperson and we're going to, you know, issue this and we're going to do this kind of audit internally. And like, that's really sexy PR is like being able to swoop in, be a, like a crisis responder and manage and solve a problem for a company. It's almost a bit of like a superhero complex of what a PR person can do. It's absolutely a reactive approach to PR and PR people can do that, but there's a whole proactive side of public relations management. Mm -hmm. that Which PR is what we've covered can, pretty much for the entire yeah, of this thing is being proactive with being it. Being proactive about it and building relationships and getting to know your publics and finding ways of talking to your publics that aren't just in a marketing capacity, which again is so important, but not the only way to speak to those people. So then if we're thinking of a crisis situation, if you've already put in the time to doing PR efforts, so you already have um, established relationships with media, you already have built a brand on a foundation of like good and trust and PR efforts that your audience really believes in and is really attached to. If, if you enter a crisis situation, you might fare, like you might end off quite better if you already have that foundation base because you already have relationships with people that can help you get your story out, that can help you get your facts out um, to whoever they need to get to through your media. You already have an audience that is willing to listen to what you have to say so that maybe you're not entirely on the defense or maybe you are, I don't know, that's a whole different mm -hmm. kind of PR entirely if you've significantly done something bad. But my point is that proactive PR sets you up so well for the reactive side of PR, that when you're missing the proactive side, it's a whole lot harder to swoop in and save the day, Olivia Pope style. Um, so if you think of PR in that kind of holistic sense of, you know, swoop in PR before there's a crisis and you might end off, end off better in the long run, I think it gives a better picture of like what a PR person can actually do for your organization. And on the proactive side of things, we've been talking a lot about social media, mm -hmm. but that's not the only role that a PR person should do. It's not social media management. There's, there's, there's a lot of long-term strategy and then short-term action that needs to happen in order to build up that proactive aura that your company has through all these channels. Yeah, absolutely. And this is another huge misconception of like what a PR person is. So I'm going to speak specifically to my own experience for a second here. So I graduated with, from a bachelor's of public relations program with about 40 people that are all PR majors. So we are PR practitioners, you know, CPRS, which is the Canadian Public Relations Society. We're members of that. Some people are members of the International Public Relations Association, the IPRA. So we're like true and true PR. And the conversations that happened post-graduation of interviews gone wrong because people thought they were hiring a social media manager is baffling to me. So many people believe that hiring a PR person means, oh, well, like, they'll do social media for you and they'll talk to your public and it'll be great and we'll grow and we'll get business and it'll be awesome. And it's not quite true. A PR person can do social media. 
a lot of them can do social media really well, but a lot of PR people also aren't great at social media. You know, there's, I have friends in PR and they've specialized in government. So all of their PR work is around being working in like lobby or working for partisan politics or working in like the public sphere. So they don't have social media management skills. I know other PR people and all they do is events management. So they're not on the communication side of it. They're entirely in the back building an event from scratch. So again, it's still a PR person, but no social media is involved in their job. I think this is a great example of where, you know, PR is assumed to be marketing because there are marketers, social media marketers and social media managers that are entirely based on marketing backgrounds. And those people are far better suited to do that type of work. But because of the misconception that a PR person is this person that knows exactly how to talk to your audience and exactly how to you know, take advantage of media, you assume that they can do the work when sometimes they can't. There's also people, and I think it's like worth noting this, that come from PR and marketing backgrounds. And that kind of, if you think of like a Venn diagram, that small section of people that can do both are people that know how to leverage social media from both a marketing and a PR standpoint. And those are the folks that often make really fantastic social media managers for companies. Great, and that brings us right to the last misconception, which is that PR is an outdated, uncool, or even a thing. But I think we've, I don't even think we need to touch on that because we've debunked that so heavily for the last 40 minutes, pretty much yeah. saying like, there's an endless amount of tools, tactics, opportunities, relationships you can build, and ways of repurposing ideas and communication to get in front of the audience you need and give them the right message that they need to hear either to build rapport to take action to make them buy to like there's so many opportunities that if you're good at if you can understand how to create the content in a earned media kind of way through PR and then how to really effectively promote it for your owned media which is like the email list you have the social media followers you have there's almost no reason at that point to pay for any type of media unless it's like right. put a gas on the fire is like the best way I've heard the paid media described is like you shouldn't be spending money unless you can guarantee if you know that, that that piece of content converts or whatever you're trying to do with it, then you can throw as much money as you want because it's tried and true, but you can't do that unless you get in front of the right people. Absolutely. You, you nailed it. I completely agree. I think the, the one point I would add to it is that the actual perception of like who a PR person can be to your company is very important, right? So oftentimes people um, imagine PR folks as the people that swoop in. So they're, they're contract workers. They're only around when you need them and they'll snap their fingers and you'll have earned media and it'll be great and they'll solve the crisis and it'll be awesome and they'll understand your audience and it'll be perfect. But I think that that's a really outdated perception of what PR was. I think the foundations of the PR industry were these people that had this innate understanding of how to make people listen. So they would swoop in and they would do a campaign or a contract piece, or they would be, you know, like it would be short term thinking. But that outdated framework of what PR is, I think, is like a huge barrier. Um, for modern companies and what PR can do for them. PR is a, a long-term game now and PR practitioners understand that. The sooner you can get a PR person in your marketing teams, in your communication teams, with your sales teams talking about 
who are the people that we're trying to reach most? Who are our publics? What are their personas? Where are they? How are we reaching them? And then from a marketing perspective, like who are we converting? Who do we need to convert? All of these pieces, the sooner you bring a PR person into it, the sooner they can start doing the work to earn you, to get you earned media and get you those PR opportunities that in your outdated model, you imagine a PR person being able to do. So I think that's also really important is understanding that like modern PR is a long-term game, game. And the sooner that you can get a PR practitioner to look at your organization or even better working within your organization, you know, even in a capacity like mine where I'm half PR specialist, half content marketing specialist, the sooner that you have someone in that capacity, the more benefit you're going to get from what a PR person can do. Yeah, it's a comp it's a compounding thing to have in your company, especially with the the necessity of SEO and every type of like digital artifact, like you're saying about, like we were saying about LinkedIn posts is it could be a week later. So if you're only posting once a month, you'll only have one breakaway thing. But if you have a significant amount of traction, it all feeds it. It all feeds it. Like that's what, that's what fuels, fuels the fire. Well, this seems like a really great place to stop. I think you've given me too much, not too much, enough, so much to think about about. and, and debunking those, uh, PR, uh, the old school way of thinking about it. That's been super helpful for me as well as someone who's, who went through my first PR submission a couple weeks ago. Ooh, I was like, oh, they actually, they actually wrote about us. Great. We've got one article written about us and then I'm working on one we've been interviewed. So I'm hoping that it gets published soon. That's exciting. But, uh, That's great. Yeah, all the promotion stuff you're talking about is exactly what I was hoping to get from this. And I hope that some listeners as well found some real value there. Yeah, and absolutely. To get to see you do this in action, the, a perfect opportunity for some PR is SalesRite is about to have their first anniversary coming up about, well, today is March 3rd. So three days from now, that's a great example that we can maybe quickly wrap up here as like how you identified that as, oh, we got a birthday coming up. That's an excuse to reach out to PR people. And it's a really good angle to take with a story. But there's more than that is you've actually built content to substart to, to complement that. So what's that kind of look like? So I I think the most, I think you nailed it. And I think that you said it perfectly. I think the most interesting piece of all of this is that we have this huge marketing campaign that we've been working on and we've been crafting for months. And this rollout is going to happen very soon. So over the past few weeks, I've been working in this marketing campaign and, you know, digging into the weeds of it and like trying to make sure it's perfected and ready to roll out as, as I work with, you know, our our other people like our designer and our web developer and all of these people that are making it happen. And what I did was I took a step back and I was like, okay, this campaign is like right now in the production stage, it's going really well. We have a lot of great stuff being built. It's going to be really successful once we get it out there. But what PR twist can I put on this that will give it a little extra like pop and zing? You know, what, what other element am I missing from this picture? And I evaluated everything that we had planned and you know, how the launch was going to roll out and all of like, you know, the, your traditional marketing framework of how you, you roll a campaign and you're ready to evaluate it and you're ready to put your benchmarks up. And I realized as I was doing this, that the dates coincided with our one year of incorporation. And that kind of made me pause. And I was like, wait, there's a really good PR story to this. So not only do we have this marketing train, like gunning down the tracks, ready to go, but I can also kind of put the PR 
you know, fairy dust on top of it and say, Hey, look at us. It's our one year anniversary. We have all this stuff that's happening. This like really cool rollout that, that we're doing. And also like we've done all of this stuff in the past year as well. So it's an opportunity to both roll out what we're rolling out and bring to light, like, this is who we are as a company, what we believe in, the work that we've done in one year of existing, the growth that we've had, our plans for the next year. If you want to join the train, like now is the time to do it as we're doing all this other crazy stuff. And when I presented this to our team, we had some really interesting conversation of like, well, is what we have enough? Is this an angle we can take on it? And now that we've talked it through and we've really, you know, warmed those ideas and meshed it all together, I think we have this really beautiful picture of like how marketing and PR are so complementary because we have this marketing campaign that I think is going to be successful regardless of the PR. However, we have this, this PR campaign that's going to be successful as well, regardless of how the marketing goes. And when I consider the two of them together, it's just this perfect picture of how, you know, the entire situation of this rollout and our one year anniversary could have been, they both could have been things that could have been completely missed if I'd only been a PR person or only been a marketer. But because both exist within our company, they came together in this really cool way that now we can have the benefits of both. So that's what I would leave with your listeners. And what I would really encourage is the sooner you can have multiple perspectives come in on an issue. And maybe it is you contract in a PR person and you say, Hey, we're doing this marketing thing. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Or, Hey, we, you know, our brand, we want to reach these types of people and we have these ideas and how can we get some earned media to make those ideas pop a little bit more to our audience. The sooner you can bring both of those perspectives together, I think the sooner you'll see how PR can benefit you in the long term. And it's not just going to be, you know, your, your backhand crisis response or your, oh, well, when we meet, when we have a huge announcement, we'll pull in a PR person. Um, so I'm really excited to see how this goes. I think that it's going to be a really cool launch. Uh, and it's definitely going to leave me with some reflection of like how PR and marketing work together. So uh, I would also say stay tuned for my thoughts on that once it's all said and done. We'll see, see how it all goes. Oh, that's awesome. I do look forward to hearing your debrief and then also seeing the campaign live. And I think yeah. the best place for people to actually see what you're talking about is on your website, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. So it's sales, right? So sales and then R-I-G-H-T uh, dot co. So hopefully you'll see some action on March 6th. We'll also be doing some fun stuff while we're at Saster Annual, which is next week, March 10th to 12th in California. So if uh, you're listening to this after those dates, you can back search on all of our social media, which is sales, right? Co. And you'll be able to see some super fun PR type content coming out through that too. A lot, a lot, a lot coming it. out and connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you think as well. Cause I think that people have a lot of feelings about a lot of feelings about PR and marketing. And I, I want to hear them and I want to be part of that conversation as well. And if this is something that um, can inspire any of your listeners to think of PR differently or approach it differently, I'm all ears to hearing about it. Awesome. I hope people take you up on that because you awesome. definitely post some good stuff. Oh, thank you. I, I love LinkedIn. LinkedIn's so much fun. Oh, me too. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> That's a whole awesome. other podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much, Liz. This has been great. And thank I really you. hope that other people found it just as useful as I did. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Bye. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, then you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to topofmind.substack.com and put in your email, you can get access to exclusive behind-the-scenes content 
inspired by this show. So there's going to be candid audio recordings that aren't going to be available anywhere else, not on Spotify, not on Apple, nowhere else except on topofmind.substack.com. But that's not it. It's also a platform where I can share written content, videos, links, and anything else that I come across directly with you. You're going to get access to it right away. You're going to get access to the whole library of archived posts. And you're also going to be the first to be notified when a new episode of Top of Mind comes out. So head on over to topofmind.substack.com. See you there. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button, you'll be added to an email list where I share exclusive content related to this show. This is where I'm going to share my key takeaways from each episode, including my highlights, top of mind takeaways, and next steps that you can do to put this advice to action. I also share some real life breakdowns of marketing campaigns that I'm seeing around and how I'm using it in my work. So head on over to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button to get your first email. Looking forward to seeing you there.